0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. We are in the middle of a uh, series called We Are Family. Uh, You see different people wearing t-shirts. We've been selling them. You see different people talking about the fact that we are a church family. We're looking at what does the Bible have to say about the fact that we are members of the family of God? How do we relate to God as our Father And uh, not more importantly, but I would say just as important, how do we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is this just a a fun phrase that the Lord has inspired the writers of Scripture to use? Or does it actually have meaning? What does it look like walked out uh, in real life? So we're in the middle of that series and uh, we are continuing to look at mercy, uh, just as we did last week, but this week from a different text of scripture, looking at it from the Gospel of John chapter 8. Would you, if you are physically able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word and read along silently as I read aloud John chapter 8, beginning in verse, uh, really beginning in uh, John seven fifty three. This is what the Word of God says. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. No more. Lord, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and the preaching of your holy word today. We are grateful to be your children and in your family. Grateful to be related to one another and desire to please you as members of the family of God. Show us from this text and from our time today what that looks like. And change our hearts, our minds, and our actions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So right from the outset, I want to deal with what I'm calling the exegetical elephant in the room. That is the fact that uh, if you look in your Bible, perhaps you have a note like mine does that says, the earliest manuscripts do not include the text Pastor Peter will be preaching from. (laughs) That's awkward. How many of you have the note about... The text of 753 eight one, through 811, right? Or maybe you'll notice that in your Bible it is parenthetical. Like literally it's in brackets or in parentheses. Raise your hand if you see that in your Bible. Good. I want you to... T- maybe you're like, is my Bible messed up? Now you see other people have that as well. So it's, it's not just you. I want to deal with this just briefly because I don't want to just make like that's not there because this is the crux of my message today. So if this message is... From Third Peter, we can all go home, right? Get a jump on the lunch crowd. If this is literally the word of God, then that's something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, so I want to first start out by saying this. We don't have time to really get into it today, but you need to understand this about your Bible. That the New Testament in general, your Bible, but particularly the New Testament in general, as far as just normal, non-Christian, regular, secular, historical, textual criticism is concerned... The New Testament can hold its own. Okay? The New Testament can hold its own. In fact, it is one of the most well-attested historical documents that we have in our day and age. Okay? We deal with a lot of historical documents in our day and age. Uh, you could, it could stand up and offer more evidence that would point to its veracity than a lot of the things that we just assume are fine. Uh, like Plato or Homer's Iliad. The New Testament literally just knocks it out of the park as far as how many documents we have uh, that uh, match the writings that we have in our Bibles today and how close they are to the original writings as far as both the text but also the age. We have some portions of Scripture that are under or just about 100 years within the date of it being written. That's something. Say, wow. That was pretty underwhelming. (laughs) But yeah, it's, you have to understand that, that this Bible can stand on its own. But still, as with any historical document, there are a handful of problem passages. This is one of them. We have manuscripts that are older of the Gospel of John that don't contain this passage. If you were to look in your Bibles at John chapter 7, verse 52, and skip ahead to John 8, verse 12, they connect like awesome. So, so it's, it, you can see... This parenthetical portion of scripture, if this was removed, this gospel would flow just fine. So why is it placed here and why are there older copies of the scriptures that don't have it? And why is it not even, and I'll tell you this, it wasn't even commented on until the 12th century. That's a lot of time. We don't have like the early church fathers talking about this until the 12th century. That's a lot of time to go without with with a lot of silence on this particular passage. So what's the deal? Well... I don't really know. But I'm going to throw out some suggestions to you. Um, one, it was suggested by Augustine that perhaps the early writers of Scripture... Uh, not, excuse me, not the early writers of Scripture. The earliest church fathers would have seen this text and think that people would have interpreted Jesus as going light on adultery. Now... It's kind of ridiculous. You can't read the Sermon on the Mount. You can't read any of Jesus's ministry and think that Jesus goes light on adultery. But people, albeit well-intended, uh, would have made the mistake of saying, "You know what? This can we just remove? It's just eleven verses. Let's just not include that in our copies of the Scripture." And you know, we'll just well, there's other areas where we can show how Jesus is merciful and the Pharisees are are mean. We we don't need this portion. It could be misleading. That's one suggestion, but it's not likely because why would you remove that but then leave the woman at the well, right? Rocking five husbands that she's had and the person she was living with was not her husband. So it seems like if you were going to do a cleanup, you would remove that as well. So it's not, it's not likely that that's the case. The most likely reason is that this was an oral tradition. Calm down. An oral tradition that was passed down from time to time to time to time. And then finally somebody said, we're going to write this down. This is a good thing that we want people to understand. We want people to know. We ought to write this down. Now, you might hear oral tradition and think that sounds like this could be a rumor or I heard and I heard that he did this, I heard that there was stoning. I heard No, no, no. You have to remember the vast majority of scripture among common people like you and me would have been uh, memorized or, or understood orally for basically fourteen, fifteen hundred 1,500 years. People didn't just have Bible apps and copies of the Bible left on their dashboards that are getting beaten down by the sun. That, that wasn't a thing. People didn't have access to the Scriptures. People were careful in passing down information orally from one person to another. Nowadays, we prefer, we say, if you mean it, put it in what? Put it in? Writing. That was not said back then when it came to these things. It was said, okay, well, this was, we've, we've always told this we've known since our youth. We've told this. We've made sure to teach our people this down through the ages. So the fact that this was perhaps an oral tradition of sorts and was then included into Scripture la- uh, later on doesn't, um, doesn't attack its truthfulness or its authenticity. Keep your finger in John 8 and quickly, like so fast, go to Mark 16 because I want to show you something let's look at another problem passage real fast because i would say this that if this text in and of itself is not was not included in the original copies of scripture here's what i'm going to say it's still scriptural look at mark 16 so, uh, real fast, show of hands. Right around verse nine, you see a similar note. This is a problem passage. We're not sure. Okay, so skip down to verse sixteen. Mark sixteen, verse sixteen. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Verse seventeen. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Okay. They will speak in new tongues. Got it. They will pick up. Ser- Wait, what? They will pick up serpents with their hands, huh? And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. So, another text of scripture that wasn't included in the earlier writings that I would say portions of are not scriptural because this is the only place we can find this in scripture that the people as a sign of being saved would like punch a cobra in the face and do a shot of poison that's not that's that's not elsewhere in scripture this is the only place where we see this furthermore as people have tried this over the years it's brought them very close to Jesus like face to face because they died So that leads me to believe that this portion of scripture probably was not intended to be put into the canon originally, and the reason it wasn't and it was and it causes me to not want to preach a sermon on this particular passage because I don't see it anywhere else in scripture. Uh, I, don't, I don't see it at all. When you look at John 8 today, the things we learn about Jesus, the things we learn about the adulterous woman, the things we learn about the Pharisees, that's scriptural. You, you, can, you, you, you could not look here and look elsewhere and see all those same things. Does that make sense? So it's scriptural, so I think it speaks to the veracity of, of this particular text. Lastly, real fast, I don't think it matters. I don't think it really matters. And that's me kind of offering a chest bump back to the people who would look at the problem passages and say, no, 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 this means that your Bible is not legitimate. Here's what I would say, and I don't know if you should say this, but here's what I would say. <laughs> that's fine, take it out. Take it out. Take out the portion of Mark 16. Take out John 8. What are you left with? Everything that matters, right? So I'm not, I'm not advocating you cut that out i'm just saying if you were to take out these problem passages you know what you're left with uh the gospel the fact that we're sinners the fact that we're in need of a savior the fact that jesus is the way the truth and the life the problem passages have nothing to do with the core meaning of scripture and what we need to know so i kind of push back and say yeah well even if you were to take it out even if all these problem passages were illegitimate we still have a really good bible and there's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun life is short hell is hot people matter jesus saves does that make sense Okay, hopefully that makes sense because I'm going to preach this passage. So, we're going we're to go. Okay, here we go. John chapter 8. What I would like to do um, is walk through this text. And what I want to do is call your attention to things that are in the text and also call your attention to things that are not in the text but would have been understood and suggest to you as a possible backdrop to this story. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. But Jesus went to the mount. Of olives. So we, in our day, we say we have a lot of, we are on retreats. We said it was a real mountaintop experience. Jesus had legit mountaintop experiences on mountains and everything. He went to the Mount of Olives, and we don't know what he was doing. We don't know if he was praying. We don't know if he was communing with, uh, communing with God. We don't know why he went up there. Uh, all we know is he went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So It's early in the morning. It's kind of quiet. This doesn't seem like a time of public, formal teaching and preaching. I'm picturing it as a quieter, more devotional type setting. Scones come to mind. You know, just just sitting there listening to Jesus as he's he's speaking, uh, kind of devotionally. But then suddenly, uh, verse 3... The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? So maybe there's a rumble. Maybe they hear this crowd. Crowds don't typically walk quietly. So there's another crowd that's coming in and finally gets to Jesus stops there and says, hey, 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 puts this woman in the midst of them, literally in the center. So if they were circled, she would have been in the center. If they were just a, they're all facing Jesus. Somewhere that she would have been easily seen puts her in the midst of them and says she's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says to stone such women. What do you say? So just a little note about stoning, because it's probably, it may or may not be what you're picturing or thinking of right now. I think lots of times we think of like the times when, uh, People gathered rocks because they wanted to stone Jesus because he said something that ticked them off, or, or the martyrdom of Stephen, where people gather rocks and here we and, and just it 's kind of this rogue stoning that 's not this this would have been capital punishment. she has been guilty found guilty of a sin. the law says this is what we should do. what do you say so this stoning would have been uh, altogether different than everybody just. All of a sudden, just rushing her and just like pelting her with stones. That happened, but that wouldn't be what what happened here. The Jewish Mishnah is a a, a volume of oral traditions that have then been transcribed. And it says the following regarding how someone was to be stoned. So first of all, the place of this legal stoning would have been twice a man's height. That's what it says, twice a man's height. So call the average man six uh, six foot... or or 5'9", I mean, whatever. And um, twice a man's height. So call it 12, 13, maybe 15 foot, right? And there'd be this pit that would be about twice a man's height, that deep. And the, uh, the primary witness would take the suspect who had been found guilty. Okay, his or her hands would be bound. And then he would, it literally says, push him by the hips. Face first into this pit. So, uh, one of the witnesses pushed him by the hips, so that he was overturned on his heart. Is what the Mishnah says. So, so that he would he would land face first on the rocks. Then, would turn the person on on their back to see if. That I mean, many times that would have done the job, right? 12-foot drop, face first. You can't catch yourself. You can't break your fall. So if that did the job, um, mission accomplished. It uh, literally said uh, he had fulfilled his duty. But if not, um, the witness would be rolled over. Actually, not the witness, the suspect. uh, The guilty party would be rolled over on their their back. And uh, the second witness would come up with a large stone and drop it 12 feet or more onto the chest of the guilty party. And if that did it, mission accomplished. If that didn't do it, uh, then uh, the wording is, the criminal was stoned by all Israel. So then it's everybody just kind of comes in and finishes the job. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, the law of Moses says we are to stone such women. That's what was on the mind. That she's guilty. This is, this is, this is how we do it. This is how we roll. So, when he's saying the law of Moses says we should stone such women, that's the picture that would have been coming to mind. Uh, things you could be stoned for in the Bible. Touching Mount Sinai. Exodus 19. Stone him. Breaking the Sabbath. Not taking one day and seven to rest. Numbers 15. Child sacrifice. Leviticus 20. Being a medium or a wizard. Leviticus 20. Cursing God or blaspheming. Stoner. Leviticus 24. Watch this. Idolatry. Idolatry. Or someone who entices another to commit idolatry. Someone who entices someone to raise something above the worship of God. Stone him. Rebellion against parents, Deuteronomy 21. A woman who claimed to be a virgin at marriage but found, it was found out that she wasn't. Stone her, Deuteronomy 22. Sex with a betrothed virgin, Deuteronomy 22. And adultery, Leviticus 20 and verse 10. So this is the legal stoning, right? This is the capital punishment version of stoning. Now I want you to look at the text and I want you to see really just this. First point, Those who are quick to pronounce judgment do some pretty dark, sinful, wacky things. People who are in a rush to judge typically do some pretty dark and sinful things. Look at John 8, uh, verse 3 and 4. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. So they throw her in the center. Verse 4, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught. Can we do this? Has been caught. What are the next words? You could say it. What are the next words? In the act of adultery. Now, I understand it's a family show kind of sorta. But you gotta, you gotta think about this for a minute. This is not the. I was switching planes in Atlanta and I saw. John with Susie wasn't with with a woman that I thought was Susie and then when I got close I realized it wasn't Susie and then John saw me and John was startled and became flushed red both of them were really embarrassed I think something might be going on and then I approached him and it turns out that he was committing adultery and had an affair with this person and blah blah blah, 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 blah and all this other stuff and now, now all of a sudden we found out this person was guilty caught in the act How, pray tell, right? How does one catch someone in the act without a ton of scheming and planning? Early in the morning this took place, right? This is not a group of people who are above scheming and planning, Right? How many times do you read throughout the Gospels? And they gather together to come up with how they would get him. Uh, they gather together to think about, to plan how to kill him, how to catch him. This is, these are those people. So to think that they, would, that they would scheme and scam to try to get Jesus killed is not uncommon and not crazy. Please note that they don't give a rip about sexual purity. <laughs> it's not about adultery. They don't give a rip about being obedient to God's law. It says later on in the text, this they said to what? To test Jesus. They wanted to catch Jesus. They don't care about adultery. She's a pawn. She's, she's just a little, a little cog in the whole assembly line of things that they want to do. They don't give a rip about adultery. They don't care about holiness. They don't care about obedience to God. They hate Jesus. Um, where's Dude. Right? Takes two to tango. They're incorrect when they say, the law says we should stone such women. That's not what the law says. The law says you should stone both of them. Is it not odd that he's nowhere to be found? Why is only she here? I don't know. Do you think he was in on it? How are we going to catch Jesus? we got to catch Jesus. We want to kill him. We want to get him down. Well, oh, this girl, I'm going to, we're probably going to. So if that happens, what I'll do is I'll just, you know where I live, right? So I'll hang a little something on the doorknob, leave a rock outside or something so you'll know. And when you hear. Windows didn't have glass, right? When you see, you come in and we'll have a reason to go to Jesus. People who are obsessed with judgment do some really dark, really sinful things that cause them, watch this, to overlook their own. You know how twisted and warped you have to be to get to the point where you could perhaps plan something like this and think, yeah, all right, that's a good plan. We should do this to overlook your own sin and your own hatred for God... and your own uh, personal unrighteousness to say, yeah, let's, let's do this. this. This would be good. Being quick to pronounce judgment leads you to do some pretty dark, pretty scary, pretty sinful things. Caught in the act. Uh, most people who rush to pick up rocks, who are rushing to judgment have an ulterior motive, as this person does as well. Look at verse 6. This they said to test him. So this they said to test him. Why might we like to collect rocks? Well, I I threw in five reasons that I think we tend to like to collect rocks. In our own sinful nature, we uh, enjoy, it comes easy to us to be judgmental. Most people don't have to try. That's usually natural. Mercy is what we have to try to do. The judgmental behavior of ourselves and in our own sinful nature comes pretty natural. Why do we like to collect rocks? Well, number one, I would say it's pretty easy. Right? You don't have to throw a rock too far to hit some sin. We live in a fallen, dark, sinful world. It's just easy. It's super easy to just, you know, see haha and see something that deserves judgment. See something that is worth calling out. To see some, you know, to 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 call time out on something. To be that spiritual referee. It's it's super easy. It's real easy. I mean, there's there's just enough. There's there's tons of sin to go around. Uh, Number two, does it seem like? Is it just me? But maybe everybody's doing it. Right? Wouldn't you say everybody's doing it? I feel like I know more about what people hate than what they love when I read their Facebook feeds. I know about what people uh, don't, what they stand against than what they stand for. Everybody's doing it. Everybody From both sides, secular, Christian, I know more about what people in general hate than what or whom they love. Everybody is doing it. It just seems like the in thing. Uh, you feel effective? You feel like you're accomplishing something? I posted that tweet. showed them got an itchy Twitter finger I called them out Ooh. Uh, it's, can I, can we, it's kind of enjoyable everyone in that temple in that moment doesn't matter what they've been doing it doesn't matter what's going on in their heart. It doesn't matter what's going on in their mind. Guess what? You know what they all probably said in their minds? At least I ain't her. That's kind of enjoyable. I'm better than that guy. Uh, it offers this feeling of escape. It temporarily takes uh, your sin, whatever's on your mind that you're dealing with, it takes it out of the limelight... And all of a sudden, instead of looking at a mirror, you're looking through a window, if you will, at someone else. So it offers this sense of escape uh, that your sin is out of the limelight and and you're focused on the sin of another. This they said to test him. Now, this word test, you see that in verse 6? This they said to test him. Two chapters earlier, you have uh, Jesus talking to Philip. Um, When he's about to feed, just before he feeds thousands of people. And Jesus says something to Philip. He says, where do you, it's it's a little funny in hindsight. Where do you think we're going to get bread to feed all these people? That's, and it says, he said this to test him. Okay. That's it. It's a playful test. Playful, right? To kind of, to prove a point. He's messing with him. Where you know here's Jesus. So, you know, oh, where are we going to get this bread? To, te- to you know, how are we going to feed this this many people? Where are we going to do what with me being the Son of God? It's a playful test. This is a destructive test. This is a different word altogether. This is this is the 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 person who's like out to get you with the test. You ever take a test? Those of you who are students. You take a test and you're like, "Is this? I think that I think the man wants to kill me." With this test. I think he, he wants to end my... She wants to end my life with this test. Because there's questions on here that are so obscure. And you know... That well, I don't ever remember discussing... And it was in the text. It was in the footnotes. In the appendix. And he's like... Oh, you want me to die? You want me to die from this test? That's the type of test this was. This they said to, to bring him down. To catch him. And Jesus is caught... Pardon the pun. Between a rock and a hard place. Right? He... Because if he says, don't stone her, he violates the Mosaic Law. If he says, stone her, well, two things. He violates Roman Law, because they don't have the right to impose the death penalty. Not under Roman Law. And also, he mars his own reputation of being the guy who's merciful towards sinners. This is a pretty awesome, let's just call it what it is, a really well-crafted plan on the part of the Pharisees. What does Jesus do? I want you to look at verse 6, please. This they said to test him. Why? That they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus did the one thing you'd expect him to do, right? Bent down and wrote on the ground. Uh, Okay. Please tell me, just brother to brother, brother to sister, we are family. Just raise your hand for my own sake so I know I'm not the only person who is driven crazy by the fact that it says he was writing but doesn't tell me what he wrote. Thank you. Just, that's it. Everyone's fine. I just need one. Like, it doesn't say what he wrote. It was important enough for you to tell me that he wrote on the ground, but it doesn't say what he wrote. You're killing me, Smalls. I, I, what, what did he write? Why was he... What, Sudoku? Like, what, what is he doing? I don't know. You don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Lots of people have wondered that and all come to the same conclusion. I don't know. What could he have been doing? As they continue to ask him, so so Jesus, they ask him this. Jesus stops his teaching, right? He's teaching the people. He's riding on the ground. Who do you think he was riding? Maybe names of people in the crowd. Right? Bill. Caiaphas. Maybe he would take the time... To write acceptable sins that Jesus says is just as good as, or just as bad, just as serious as other sins? What should we do? We caught her in the act. What should we do? (laughs) Gossip, slander, gluttony. Self-righteousness. I studied it a lot. Apparently it doesn't say. All we know is he wrote on the ground. Look at verse 7. Did they ask him once? No. Verse seven says, as they continued to ask him... So here's this woman, who was caught in the act. What she was wearing, I don't know. Most times when you catch people in the act, you don't say, like it seems. How many of you would just say, this this text, uh, this narrative seems to be really slow, really? Or how many of you say, I get the feeling it's moving. Raise your hand if you think it's moving. Right? You get the feeling as you read this text. This is this happened fast. So there's this woman standing in the midst of them, maybe wearing whatever she could grab. And here's verse seven. They continue to hey hey Jesus, what do you what do you say? Jesus, we caught her in the act. We caught her in the Jesus writing on the ground. Jesus, we caught her in the act in the act. When Moses says we should. Law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? What do you stop it? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And as they asked him, that's what it says. right in your Bibles, verse 7. As they asked, so he's drawing, writing in the the ground. What do you say, Jesus? What do you? What should we do? Here's what Jesus does. Gets up. P.S. He never says don't stone her. Ever. He says, all right. Change it up a little. You know, usually the witness comes forward. Here's what we're going to do. He among you who is without sin, that person can kick it off. That person will cast the first stone. And then what does Jesus do? Look at verse 8. Drives me crazy. Whole verse telling me that he went back to writing on the ground. Whole verse. I don't know what he's writing. Went back to writing on the ground. When we started out this, I'll say this. Before, up to this point, when Jesus was talking, four categories of people. Jesus, he gets his own category. uh, The adulterous woman, right? Uh, Those with scones. People who were just there to hear his teaching. And then those with stones, or who wanted to, the people who wanted to pronounce judgment. Jesus, adulterous woman, scones, stones. People who just want to hear his teaching. Now, two categories of people Jesus, not Jesus. Jesus, everybody else. The playing field is leveled. Brilliant response on the part of Jesus. He never said, Don't stone her. He leveled the playing field. And what a different scene now, right? Here's Jesus, you know, beforehand, he's riding on the ground. We don't know what he's riding, and people are yelling, What do do we say? What do you say? What are you saying? We know Moses caught her in the act. What are you saying? And he stands up, says, Whoever among you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. I think it's quieter now. Jesus is back to writing on the ground. But there's a different sound. It's not people screaming. You know what people hear? I would suggest two things. Jesus is writing. And you hear the sound of people walking away, because that's what the verse says. When they heard this, here's what you probably hear. People walking away. Rocks being dropped. Because Jesus levels the playing field. Look at verse 9. When they heard it, they went away one by one. Who starts? Beginning with the older ones, right? Why is that in there? I think the longer you walk with the Lord... No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more aware you should become of two things. Your sin and God's grace. Your sin and your Savior. So when Jesus says this, the older ones among them are the ones that, you know, I'm out. He, he wins. Who among you is without sin? I'm out. And they leave first, where you maybe have a y- some younger bucks, right? But but what do you mean? We gotta. But she's guilt. But she's guilty. It's why we're, we have a. Pl- we got a plan. All right. I don't. know. What, but still, we gotta get him. What, why are we here? Come on, come on. And and the older ones are like, just come on. I'll, I'll tell you on the way home. But we have a plan. We're here. We gotta. Come on, we get. Come on, we gotta get him, and we gotta get her. She's guilty, and we want to get him. And we could. Come on, we can kill two birds with one. <laughs> we, we're, we're here for. We're here for a reason. We went. Like, what, what do you mean? We gotta go? I don't want to go. Just come. Just come here. You don't. You don't get it. I'll tell you on the way home. Experience and age sends the older ones away first. Let me ask you a question. What pet rocks do you own? What's the issue that you're just, you're ready, right? You've got one, you've got one right here. You're ready to, I'm I'm ready. You hear about this one sin, this one thing, this one, you know, oh, oh, am I ready? Boom, what pet rocks do you own? own? What are your pet rocks? What's the things you're just ready to just, oh, I got it. I'm ready. What does that look like in your marriage? What does it look like in your relationships with people at your job? What does it look like when your wife would say, I'm really sorry. And you say, Yeah, I know, you said you were sorry. You've been sorry. We've seen this before. If you were sorry, we wouldn't be talking about this again. When will you change? Direct quote La Rufa Home for years. With a rock throwing husband, with a memory like an elephant, who didn't have a clue what it meant for marriage and mercy to coexist. What can we do to make sure this never happens again? Yeah, all right, I know you're so, yeah, well, fine. And I'm, I think God is growing me. I think my wife would say God is growing me. Uh, I, but I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? What's your pet rock? What issue? What policy? What, what's the thing? What's the pet rock that you're like, mercy? Psh, and listen, don't, don't. Yeah, but it's sin. I feel like adultery is sin too. Right? And that Jesus probably knew that. So don't allow yourself off the hook so easy to say, well, yeah, I've got a pet rock, but it's sin. And I just care so much about righteousness that my pet rock is worthy because it's sin. Adultery, sin. Jesus knew it. I'm not asking you if your pet rock is for a sin or not. I'll even assume it's for a sin. I'll assume it's for something that grieves the heart of God. I just want to know where are you quick? You're just, you're ready. The older ones leave first. Do you know what I need? So this is for, if you consider yourself older among us, like how I danced around that, I'm not going to define that. I'm not going to throw out an age, there's no way out of that hallway. No way. If you consider yourself older among us, and every one of you, you're older than someone. I mean, there's one person in the room who's the youngest. Only God knows who that is. You're older than someone. Here's what we don't need in our church. In our we are family, right? Here's what our family doesn't need. I don't need people who have been walking with the Lord so long and living so much of life that you think that you've earned the right to be ornery and judgmental. I'm judgmental enough on my own. I don't need your example. I, you don't understand the way it used to be. Back in my day, we used to do this. and People weren't, which wasn't as secular. wasn't as a, people will tell you what they deserve. We need that like not at all. I'm judgmental enough on my own. I'll tell you what they should do. Here's what I would have done if I was a, We need people to model mercy. You've been walking with the Lord long enough that you're aware of your sin, you're aware of your Savior, that you would be the first, not the last, the first to say, you know what? Listen, listen. God has shown me mercy. I've received mercy. I'm aware of my sin, I'm aware of my Savior. And you model. I'm more prone to we. Th- anyone who's younger than than you, whatever it is, is more prone to. Huh, come on, huh, come on. No, we're gonna do it. Huh, we're gonna keep score. We're gonna do this. Ha huh, ha. Huh, huh, huh. The older ones leave first. Do you model that for those who are looking at you? Do you model mercy for those who are people? People look at you. Do you model mercy? Or do you model, and every one of you, know-it-all judgmentalism? Got that itchy Twitter finger just ready to go. (laughs) People displaying mercy towards one another. Husbands and wives showing mercy to each other. People within the family of God showing mercy to each other instead of judgmentalism. People letting love cover a multitude of sins. People dealing with sins quickly and responsibly, lest a little leaven leaven the whole lump. We need mercy. I can preach. Brad can preach. Brian can preach. I can preach 168 hours a week, I get one. You preach longer and louder than I ever could, regardless of what mic I wear. You live life every day. You work with other people. You're around unbelievers. You're around your own family members. You have the opportunity to preach and model mercy longer and better than any one sermon ever could. Preach it, sister. Preach it, brother. Model mercy. Quickly look at verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Look at Jesus calling her woman. He's the son of God. Doesn't he know her name? It's the same Greek word used when he speaks to his mother from the cross. Jesus hates women. No. Sorry. Jesus stood up to her and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. And that's it. What did she do afterward? She walked with the Lord all the days of her life. John 4, the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. She runs into the town, tells people, people come back, they're saved. We have at least some evidence to say, wow, this word took root in her life. What does this woman do afterwards? We don't know. She might have went back to do and made him breakfast. We don't know. You don't know. But mercy comes with no strings attached. That's the point. Mercy comes with... Jesus doesn't say, all right, listen, I'll show you mercy. I won't condemn you, but do you promise to do do this? Will you sign here? Will you do that? Will you do this? And oftentimes we extend mercy or hold back from extending mercy because we don't know if our desired outcome will happen. I'd show this person... I'd show Sarah mercy, but I feel like she might do it again. She might... Act that way again. She might say that again. Then I'm the fool. I'd show this person mercy, but I don't know what they're going to do with that mercy. What if it, I'm not sure what they're going to. Does Jesus have any conditions upon the mercy that he shows this woman? Does he place any conditions at all? No. He, there's no, I'll show you mercy if you do this. I'll show you mercy if you do that. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Mercy without any strings attached. The mercy we show others shouldn't be connected to a specific outcome we desire. The mercy Jesus shows the adulterous woman was truly unconditional. Do you find yourself withholding mercy from people you could extend it to because you're not sure how this is going to pay off in the end? I'm not sure what the ROI is here. What's the return I'm going to get on this investment? It's not an investment, it's mercy. It's a giving, it's a pouring. And here's the thing. You could have literally walked into this room right now, missed everything I've said up to this point and take home the most important part of the entire message, literally. I'm sorry I didn't let you know that. You could have showed up later, but... but, (laughs) Literally, literally, the most important part. So, all eyes appear. You're her. I'm you're the adulterous woman. I'm the woman caught in adultery. That's who you are in the story. Some of us, we're not Jesus. Some of us might be like the Pharisees. We're more judgmental. But guess what? If you're breathing, you're that woman. You deserve judgment. You deserve judgment nothing more than God's wrath and anger and judgment. Because guess what? We all deserve to be stoned. And if you Fail to get that if you don't see that in this story. You will spend this entire sermon thinking about little details, little nuances. Maybe making a list of people that you're going to send the sermon to. Shoot them a little link with a text. But you will fail to personally apply it if you don't realize that you're her. That I'm her. That we all deserve to be stoned. That Isaiah 53 in verse 6 says, Not some, but all we like sheep have gone astray. I didn't commit adultery. Each to his own way. That Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve to be stoned. You're her. And for how many years did I read this text and never even Never even fathom, never even think of the fact that it might be her. It's like, well, who can I find myself in this story? Well, I'm, I'm for sure not her. I mean, I didn't do that. I'm for sure not Jesus. So the moral of the story is we shouldn't, throw, we shouldn't throw rocks. Let me suggest to you an alternate ending, if I could. Right? Choose your own adventure. Let me, an alternate ending to the story. Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, that's right. But I do. Would Jesus have been right to do that? 100%. And the moral of the story would be nope, you can't judge. Only God can. He would have, he who is among you without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he would have done that. But he doesn't. Do you know why he doesn't? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Every time. Every time. Mercy triumphs over judgment and God in his mercy, even though we all deserve to be stoned. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's as if he stood up and said, no one condemns you, neither do I, gives her the stone and says, hit me. That's the mercy we've been extended through Christ. What about you? What impact does that have on you as you consider God's mercy in your life? Here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to do something, anything you can do to focus yourself as much as possible on the Word of God as I read this. So you can follow along, you could just close your eyes and listen, but I'd also like to ask you to stand. Because as we close, we're going to sing just a chorus of a song, but I want to read this from the Word of God from James chapter 2. Listen to God's Word. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without Mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, help us, we pray. We want to be like you. We are not like you. We want to be merciful. We are quick to judge. Give us your grace call to mind with specificity where in our life we need to extend mercy because we have received mercy from you. Amen.